I over-seasoned it. Men were keeling over all around me. I can still hear the wretch screaming. I sent 16 of my own men to the latrines that night. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello. Hello, folks. And welcome to this week's episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen. And I'm the other host, Ivan. And uh, every week we take a random Seinfeld episode and examine the secondary characters from it. And this week we're heading to season eight for a lesser known episode. Uh, not one that usually appears on any lists or is talked about often. Uh, the Fatigues. Yeah, I know. Very. Uh, it's actually one that I do remember quite well and I have seen many times. But yeah, certainly not one that's really remembered too much by the Seinfeld fans mostly. Um, that was episode six of season eight. That's right. Uh, I, I don't think it's a bad episode. We'll talk about that a bit more when we rank the episode uh, after we talk about the secondary characters. But maybe it's because it just doesn't have any classic uh, moments or lines or, or characters in it. It's all kind of just average or a bit above average, I'd say. Yeah, well, I think the biggest moment's probably the flashback with Frank as the ship yeah. in the Korean War. And isn't it great how it flashes back and <laughs> Jerry still is still Frank? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't been de-aged at all. No, it's him like 40, 45 years younger. <laughs> And yeah, he looks the yeah. same. <laughs> maybe that. he maybe he looked that way in the Korean War and he just hasn't aged since then. All the stress from the war made him old. Yeah, he <laughs> was twenty three and he looks seventy and yeah. he just his body just hasn't caught up with his or the rest of his body hasn't caught up with his face. And he still has the same attitude as well. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine him before the war. He was probably like a really pleasant, nice, emotionally stable man, and then he just turned into well who he is. Turned into stone, war. basically. Exactly. <laughs> Terrible man. If uh, you need to get in touch with us about war stress, you can email us at Bidwabas Podcast at gmail.com we're on all social medias you can say hello on twitter instagram facebook and reddit uh obviously you can listen to this podcast and any previous episodes on your podcast app of choice uh, if you want to support us non-financially you can uh, leave us a review five stars would be awesome or any stars depending on what you actually think of us honesty is always the best policy though it is and uh, if you think that we are worth a few or few bucks we have recently uh relaunched our patreon this is actually the first episode that's going up a week early on our patreon and uh we're relaunching our old tiers so that's uh, early access to episodes compared to a normal feed and uh, early access to Curbcast. So we've just started season two as well. And uh, we'll be bringing you some new stuff as well. Hopefully some interviews, maybe more movie reviews and other uh, fun bits and pieces. And especially during these tough times as well, Steve, uh, with Patreon, we are actually doing it for free until May 1st. So if you sign up on patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C, you'll get access to all those things that Stephen just talked about on any of the tiers, one or two dollars, and it'll be free until the 1st of May. So we won't charge you till then that's right uh so it's a good little uh taster for you and if uh you want to continue supporting us it'll be depending on what tier you sign up to uh two or three bucks a month us after that as of may 1st that's right finally we do have a paypal as well so if uh consistent payment is a bit too much for you then you can chip a few bucks our way uh the patreon links in our show notes just like all of the other information we've gone through and we also have an unofficial i guess you could say bidwabask facebook page of sorts it's called seinfeld isms so it's got all your seinfeld memes and all your topics and stuff as well so uh how many 
many followers do you have now on that one? Uh, as of recording, about 41,500. So since uh, a lot of people have been quarantined or are working from home, I've noticed a massive uptick in members. I'm guessing a lot of people have a lot more time to kill yeah. uh, on Facebook, and maybe they just want a distraction from all the grim news around the world. Of course, yeah, because if you are really stressed about what's happening in the world, you know, you can just jump on the page. It's Seinfeldisms on Facebook, and uh, yeah, share your memes and try and get away from it all, even for a few minutes. Yeah, no, look, I mean, even for me personally, it's always a fun thing to get involved with. Obviously, I'm the, the creator and the administrator, but just being a fan and looking at all the cool stuff that people are posting is always like a good stress relief, but especially during these times. So if you just go to Facebook and type in Seinfeldisms, uh, you'll you'll see it. I think we're the second biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook now. We're, we're catching now. up. Yeah, we're catching up to no Seinfeld group for you. I think I oh, checked it maybe two days ago. Yeah, and guys. they've been around for a long time. Um, Yours has just think, grown so rapidly. I know. I think uh, there are about 54, 55,000 members. So Jeez, you'll get there. You'll get there. Based, well, based yeah. on the current growth, I'm getting around two to two and a half thousand new members a week. Yeah. And if that can, if that continues, I'll be well, will be the biggest group probably in about five six weeks. So that's me. Let's hope some yeah. of those people listen to Bidwabask as well. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm sure. That, well, two of us do. You and I. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that's a start. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, real life Seinfeldism. So every week we talk about any events in our life or any circumstances that we can relate back to Seinfeld. Uh, I have one this week. Do you have any? Ah, uh, no, none. One. It wasn't as mine is a not a specific event, but just more of an observation of um, turning into someone like Putty. So obviously with the COVID nineteen outbreak, hygiene has become sort of front and center of everyone's daily routines, social distancing, uh, you know, antibacterial gel, all those sorts of things. And I noticed that I'm a bit more like paranoid i guess or just really really wary of touching surfaces like i'm using my sleeve if i'm wearing a, a, a long sleeve or a hoodie to you know press buttons on the lift or open doors and if someone coughs even if it's like far away from me i'm a bit sketchy i'm like what are you doing where are you coughing like i haven't turned into a full germaphobe but i've just become hyper aware of you know which is necessary but of of the sort of the potential risk i guess and it kind of just reminds me of that paranoia that putty exhibits uh i can't remember the episode where he's a germaphobe which one is that i think it was the Susie. Yeah, no, it was the season. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, I'm sure that's a common Seinfeldism for everyone in these times. But, <laughs> that's um, it. Yeah, we're all just, being a bit cautious. We're all kind of almost like Jerry in a way, like quasi Jerry's. We're just a bit cautious, washing our hands more regularly. And uh, yeah, if our, I, I think if our wacky neighbour uses our things and doesn't wash his hands <laughs> or you know whatever, then. <laughs> Last week in Seinfeld News, I was talking about how there's been tons of good, uh, you know, hypothetical Seinfeld plots based on COVID-19. And I've just thought of one. I reckon if uh, if there was a Seinfeld episode written now with COVID-19, Jerry would bar Kramer from being allowed at his apartment. Like he wouldn't even let him like cross over the hall to his door yeah. to observe social distancing. But Kramer would have to find a way to still be in Jerry's life, but also respect social distancing because he is, a, you know, he's a good friend and he does respect boundaries. Mm. But I reckon that'd be a fun sort of uh, thing to write, which how Kramer would observe social distancing but also be the the pest that he is in jerry's life i don't know how he would do it maybe he could cut like a hole in his door and just yell and jerry could like throw food over to him or something i don't know but i reckon that'd be pretty fun <laughs> i'm sure they'd figure something out and it would work whatever it yeah is. that's right that's it. speaking of seinfeld news um i've only got one this week yeah um, it's actually quite a feel-good bit of news again in uh, what are pretty rough times for a lot of people we certainly need uh, it. yeah so larry david and his longtime friend lloyd braun who's actually a real person that i learned um, oh, obviously yeah, the yeah. Yeah, the character of Lloyd Braun uh, is named after him. And uh, we did interview Matt McCoy, the actor who plays Lloyd Braun, if you go all the way back to, I think it's around September 2017. Yeah, it was like three years ago, I think. Two and a half years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you just type in Lloyd Braun uh, into, um, or sorry, Matt McCoy into 
uh, your podcast search, it should come up because I don't think there are a lot of podcast interviews with him. No. Anyway, both of them have uh, teamed up to raise money for caddies who up until recently were employed at a private golf club called Riviera Golf Club in Pacific Palisades, which is in California. So Stan the Caddy will have still have a job, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're trying to raise money for Stan the Caddy. Good um, Yeah, and due to the COVID-19 situation, like a lot of places, a lot of social places, they've been shut down. And California, I think, is in a mandatory lockdown of all, well, basically everything. Correct. Um, yeah, and, and again, like a lot of employees of businesses that are in shutdown, they've lost their job. And uh, Larry and Lloyd have set up a GoFundMe. The original intent was to collect around 100 grand. So far, as of recording, it's only been open for about two or three days. They've collected 103,000. Okay. Yeah, and they've actually increased their target to 150K. Oh, they'll get that um, easily. For sure. And some of the donators have been Larry David himself. He chipped in five grand. Um, Tom Brady, the former New England Patriots quarterback, I think. Yep, quarterback. Linebacker, yeah. quarterback. Yeah, no, quarterback, yeah. yeah. He chipped in, I think, two grand. And you can see some of the celebrities. I can't remember who else is there, but on the GoFundMe, you know, they're all chipping in sort of like two, three, five, ten grand, which is loose change to them. Uh, Larry and Lloyd have some clout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Donations. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So, yeah, hopefully they crack 150 grand and keep going and then, you know, maybe use some of the spare money to donate to other people or something. But it's, uh, you know, it's good to see people that are massively privileged and this doesn't really affect them um, sort of help out the little guys as well. So it's nice. Well, it, it's interesting because this virus is actually affecting everyone. So I guess it's kind of in their interest to help, you know, the fellow people out as well, because even famous high profile people are getting the virus too. So it is touching yep. everyone no matter what. That's it. Prince Charles. Yes, that's right. Tom Hanks yeah. and all that. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Tom. <laughs> Tom, yeah, he got it in Australia. Yeah, I think when he was filming here for, what's he filming for? Uh, I think it was an Elvis biopic. Directed that's right. By yeah, yeah. It's Lennon. a, um, oh, what's the guy's name? He did like Australia. Baz and... Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, this Skype thing can be a bit tricky sometimes. Bit of a delay. A did you bit. did you say Baz Luhrmann? I said Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. That's <laughs> all right. I didn't. I didn't register that. Yeah, it's all right. Well, we got to we got to get used to doing this on Skype more regularly while we're all you know in our homes and stuff. So I guess we'll iron out the kinks as we go along. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. So just one this week. Yeah. Very good, Stephen. Let's jump straight into the plot for the fatigues. That was season eight, episode six. This one aired on Halloween night, October thirty first, nineteen ninety six, in the United States. Uh, directed by. By Andy Ackerman, written by Greg Cavett and Andy Robin. Uh, in this episode, Kramer volunteers to set up a Jewish singles mixer. Oh boy, <laughs> sounds a bit uh, fun. No, oh, it's it's like wholesome fun. Yeah, wholesome know? fun. Yeah, with all the nice food that Kramer was trying to cook and Frank yeah, eventually nice. cooked. Some nice Jews and some nice food and hopefully some nice, you know, blossoming relationships at the end. Uh, yes, one would hope. He has a hard time finding a cook for the event until he learns that Frank was a cook in the Korean War and uh, Frank is suffering PTSD of sorts. But Frank refuses to cook because of his severe case of shell shock, PTSD, like I said. Uh, meanwhile, Elaine tries to get rid of an unruly employee in Peterman's mailing room. His name is Eddie. He's played by Ned Bellamy, but winds up promoting the guy instead. <laughs> <laughs> She's so frightened of him when he first uh, walks in the door, isn't he? He's freaking me out. He's freaking me out. He does look pretty scary. He looks like a, a mass shooter in the making, doesn't he? Yeah, he's got that real sort of brooding presence and, you know, he's a bit unpredictable. You don't really know how to how to deal with him. Yeah, I know. That's I can see why Elaine was pretty frightened. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when she's asking him, you know, when they when she realises that, oh, maybe it's not so bad and, they you know, she's happy about the catalogue they put together and she's like, you know, so, Ed, you know, Eddie, can I ask, like, what's, what's with the fatigues and all the psychotic imagery and he's you know he starts that story and he's sort of like talking about it slowly and you think it's going to be some traumatic story and he's like i like this woman yeah and then, you know, we went on a couple of dates <laughs> she said she would call me and then it cooled off <laughs> 
and then then there's a pause and you think it's going to be something really tragic. It's so hard to date when you're Jewish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard to meet someone you like, especially when you're Jewish. When you're Jewish, yeah. <laughs> you got the Elton Bennis kind of gruff. Yeah, voice yeah it's kind of like the Elton Bennis, but with less like sort of homophobia. And he's like 30 years younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not as, it's not as croaky, but it's, it's on the way. It's on the way. Jerry dates a woman with a mentor. Her name's Abby, played by AJ Langer. But he gets weirded out when he finds out that the mentor, Cynthia, played by Katie Lehman, is dating Kenny Banya, the hack comic, once a deal with Ovaltine. A Jerry, inspired by this, decides to take Banya under his wing and mentor him to the top. George has to give a report on the subject of risk management for the Yankees, but he doesn't want to read that big textbook. He wants a, an audiobook of sorts, or a book on tape like they used to be called in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny how it alluded to like what audiobooks are now? Yeah, that's true, actually. Crazy. Yeah. Imagine like what if this episode was set in the modern day, how much could be resolved with modern technology? Yeah, it would, Jerry would just be like, hey, have you heard of this app? Download it. Yeah. You know, have you heard of Audible? Download it yeah. and pay $3 for the textbook and that would be it. And Abby wouldn't even need a mentor. She'd just get like a LinkedIn page, she said. Yeah, or yeah. she'd just sign up to like an online course. You know, like remote, I'm sure there's remote mentoring, you know, where you have like a Skype session twice a week or something yeah. and pay someone a lot of money to be told what to do. I'm sure there's something of that nature. Not Nothing for me. I don't need a mentor at the moment. I'm still a protege of sorts in my life. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's no need for a weirdo army guy to write little quips in a, in a, in a catalog because it's all just online. Here's my foot is wet from... The blood under from crushing his skull. From kicking in skulls. Kicking in skulls. <laughs> I know, it's so romantic. He, I love how he just romanticizes violence and war. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about a bit of trivia about the episode. And uh, we're going to talk about some secondary characters like we mentioned, Eddie. We're going to talk about Abby and Cynthia. Do you have any other notes on other characters? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple of notes on Frank. Because I think a couple of the things that happened in this episode, especially to do with his past, we haven't really talked about before. Way back in episode 10, I believe. Yeah. Uh, we did a What's the Deal with episode when we were doing those, where we'd focus on a major secondary character. Yeah. We did all the Seinfeld parents, the Corfors parents in one episode. That's right. And Frank probably got the most attention because he's probably the best Corfors parent. But I don't think we talked about his war uh, history. So I just wanted to talk about that a bit and also his former career as a cook. Um, and I do have a couple of notes on Banya as well, because again, a couple of things happened in this episode that I don't think we've mentioned before of course yeah we can certainly dive into that as well so uh anyway before we go to break uh just a few other secondary characters i forgot about uh, estelle harris is estelle costanza of course richard hurd appears as wilhelm in the credits uh, eddie allen plays george's eye doctor and lynn manning plays the blind man on the train talking to george about audiobooks yeah lots of secondaries in this one yeah indeed so anyway we'll come back and talk about those characters hello folks matt mccoy here aka lloyd braun from seinfeld and i'm telling you right now i do not want to be a secondary character Today on Bilbo Bass, we're talking about the fatigues from Season 8, Episode 6, and a bit of trivia about the episode. Uh, originally, the flashback scene of six soldiers in the Korean War was a lot more graphic than what was shown, Steve. Um, some of the soldiers actually vomited onto the camera lens, but it was decided that that would probably take things a bit too far, so they decided to get rid of it. Yeah, look, that's a fair call. I mean, Seinfeld doesn't really push boundaries in that way. It pushes boundaries with, like, you know, how people act, but it, it's not, like, a visually graphic... You know, it's not like a graphic comedy, so that kind of makes sense. It would be a bit weird. And we already understand, you know, doing the motions in, like, vomiting in your hat and, you know, behind the table and stuff. We can already understand what's going on, so I don't think we really need the muck. Nah, it, it, it's kind of, you know, like a lot of things, less is more. That's right, yeah. So, no, I'm glad they decide to do that. But I, I don't even know if it could pass the censors. Do you think it probably would have? Probably, uh, yeah. I guess probably not. Like, onto the camera is pretty full on. That is full. That's almost like South Park level, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, <laughs> if, they, if yeah. they just had, like, a bit of spew coming out of someone's mouth, you know, I could I could imagine that passing the senses, but if it was like full projectile. 
adult onto the camera. Yeah, nah, Maybe not. Wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Another trivia fact about the episode, the man at the start, Jerry, jokingly claims as his mentor, Gabe Kaplan. He's actually an actor, and uh, he's best known for playing, a, I think, a teacher on Welcome Back, Cotter. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. I used to love watching that show. Oh, that was a John Travolta, yeah? That was his first uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter. Mr. Cotter. <laughs> Yes, Horshack. Nothing. <laughs> I used to watch reruns of that ages ago. Like, Yeah, in the 90s. I remember the 90s in Australia, like at 5, 6 p.m., there was always like the Brady Bunch, Welcome Back Cotter, MASH. Yeah, yeah that's right, MASH. A yeah. others. MASH has yep. been on always before the news for like ages. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. Crazy. Anyway, um, another mention of Bob Sacamano in this episode, Stephen, his first for season eight and his sixth overall. And I think this is when we find out that he's Jewish. That's right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the writers for the episode, um, Greg Kavari, Kaveri and, uh, and and Andy Robin. Ah, Kavet. Sorry, yes. my my <laughs> got your notes my, compu- wrong. my computers are <laughs> um are auto corrected. Oh, uh, right. yeah. Greg Garrett. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's actually misspelled. So sometimes it does that. Uh, and Andy Robin, the other writer, they and as well as the episode, they all won awards at the uh, Writers Guild of America ceremony in 1997. They did. Yeah, cool. that's that's a good achievement. Which is surprising because I mean, you know, season eight is not considered the golden era of Seinfeld, but from a writing point of view, I thought that there would be more. Or, you know, like sort of better episodes than this one. Oh, maybe I don't know. Maybe at the time, like I, I don't know. I don't remember when this episode came out. You know, for the first time, but maybe it just really hit when it first came out. I think everyone was probably because it was really early into season eight. It was only the sixth episode, and that's where we started seeing more, you know, weird surreal elements and fantasy elements and things that kind of made season eight and nine the way they are. So I think people probably really warmed to it when it first came out. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and just yeah, it's true. Do you have any other trivia? Uh just a couple. Um, so Elaine and Kramer are not Jewish, as revealed in the episode, but in real life, Michael Richards and JLD actually are jewish oh okay there you go and uh, the music played during the war cooking scene with frank is adagio for strings and that was also used in the 1986 film platoon oh okay maybe that's why they picked it that's right yeah nice throwback to platoon that's right uh i've only got one more trivia uh fact so uh in the episode jerry claims that he doesn't like duck however in the couch um he orders duck for both him and elaine when he's eating up poppies oh he does yes that's right maybe maybe he just says he doesn't like duck um you know to sort of have one up on cynthia on cynthia it's like that episode uh, where he pretends that uh, he's sorry, on, 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 Abby. on Abby. It's like that episode where he pretends not to eat, well, he, he doesn't eat meat to lose weight, and he's eating salad and he's yeah, hiding the meat. It's like that's that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so Jerry sometimes has aversions to, you know, to avoid meat if he can. Yeah, or, just for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Reasons. He has his own nefarious reasons. That's right. Anyway, speaking of uh, Abby, why don't we talk about her for our first secondary character? Indeed. She's played by AJ Langer. She's most famous for playing the character Ray Ann in the TV series from the 90s, My So Called Life. And uh, she's also appeared in TV shows The Drew Carey Show and Private Practice and uh, Stephen like I did mention at the start when we were doing the plot synopsis I think with Abby I think if LinkedIn was around she'd be one of those people who have like a LinkedIn account and she'd probably like really tailor her you know LinkedIn profile to have every achievement that she's done and uh, I think she'd be a real good side hustler in this day what do you think? Yeah no I reckon she'd be a real uh, go-getter yeah. have, a lot of, have a lot of things on the boil a lot of sources of income but I still reckon she'd have like a primary job in finance like she does in this episode so she mentions that she works in equities so i'm assuming she works on wall street you know probably in high finance and investing that that sort of industry does seem to have a, and like sort of like 
high level, highly qualified corporate jobs like lawyers and, and doctors and, and, and finance, there is quite a lot of a, a mentor protege kind of dynamic going on. So it kind of makes sense. Mm, yeah. And uh, I think she just wants to aspire to probably go up more in that field. Yeah. Look, I at first I was like, it was kind of sad how insecure she seemed and how lost she seemed to be without like, you know, just the idea of not having a mentor was very distressing for her. Yeah. And, you know, she just wanted someone. And as soon as George came along, you know, and ordinarily, I think if George offered his uh, mentorship, she would be able to realize that maybe he's not the best candidate for a mentor but because she's so desperate because she doesn't have a mentor for what like a day at first i was like that's really kind of sad and and, and almost like rely on herself no and almost kind of pathetic but then i was thinking about it a bit more and you know what you said is very true in that you know she really wants to aspire and i'm thinking because she's a woman in high finance in wall street which is very like testosterone based very competitive very had very little chances back then I, i think so and i think she just wanted to you know she realized that it's basically like a man's world especially in that world yeah especially at that level of like professional life in new york like mm. one of the most competitive cities on on earth anyway for anyone yeah and i think the fact that she had an opportunity to you know like learn under a successful woman because obviously cynthia is very successful uh, very respected very powerful I, I think that was just an opportunity that she didn't think would come up again so i think that you know when she lost that opportunity it just sent her into a tailspin because it's not like you know i'm sure there are lots of people on wall street that she could learn from whether you know in, in equities or other industry or other parts of finance but like a, a woman, I think, would be even rarer. And that's kind of why I think that she was just so distressed when she lost or when she broke up with Cynthia. Yeah, absolutely. And she probably thought, geez, my career is going to go into free fall. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I think she just sort of felt very exposed and very naked. Mm, um, yeah. At first, I was thinking maybe it was more of like a, a personality thing where maybe she just didn't have like, you know, a strong family environment or like supportive people throughout her life. So when someone offered their support, she just latched onto it. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's just in the professional context. I think outside of a professional context, she's quite confident, probably got a lot of friends. Um, you know, she seems very like self-assured. She doesn't seem sort of, you know, she seems adjusted with life. You know, she's not desperate for approval from like men. So I think emotionally and romantically, she's fine. I think it's just in that professional context. She really wanted uh, as much as she could get from Cynthia so that she could maximize her chances of, of you know, getting to those higher levels. Yeah. Because so, it's so hard. She certainly needs someone to kind of hold her hand through the journey. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, you know, if I were in that position, um, you know, I've never worked in a cutthroat industry like that. And like I said, it would be cutthroat for anyone, man, woman, you know, educated, not educated, whatever. You probably can't not be educated and work in finance. But yeah, I think you need like, some regard, sort of Regardless of who yeah. you are or what your background is, yeah. it's going to be a competitive industry anyway. But for a woman, I think it's like extra competitive, probably maybe not so much now, but back in the 90s and the 80s, you know, it, it would have been very, very intimidating. Yeah. So she needed as much help as she can. And I guess she probably wanted to be more of a pioneer as well. There's yeah, probably not I, many people or women at the time in finance who could really achieve as much as men and she probably wanted to really break that ceiling or smash it. Yeah, and that's why I think she really, really uh, you know, relished the chance to work under Cynthia and learn from her because Cynthia was such a rare example of uh, a woman succeeding at the highest levels of that industry, especially at that time. So Yeah, and she has um, really really incredible comprehension skills and she has the ability to, you know, read an entire textbook and summarize it for George. So she has it within what a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, she pretty good yeah. turnaround time. Yeah, I mean that's that's impressive. But I think she was extra motivated by the fact that she wanted to impress George because she was still kind of shaken from losing Cynthia's mentorship. And she didn't you know, realize she thought, how much of a loser George is. <laughs> yeah, and that that he was just getting her to read a textbook so that he could make his life easier. I oh, know, so he could do 
do a killer presentation without doing the effort. Yeah. Without making the effort. I th- yeah. I think she would have learned a lot from the fact that she just implicitly trusts Cynthia's judgment in everything, like professionally, personally, comedically, romantically. You know, and I think she would have learned a lesson in that you can't blindly trust. You know, even if someone is very impressive to you and you think the world of them, they still have flaws and everything they say is not going to be like good or not good, but like you can't take everything they say as as good for you, I guess. And I think she learned that when she realized that Cynthia, uh, you know, saying that Banya's comedy set was good when really it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I think that sort of, I think that made her realize that, oh, hang on, like Cynthia still has a lot to offer, but I've got to, I've got to be a bit more discerning in her judgment. You know, she's not, she's not a God. She, you know, she is flawed. She does have her flaws. Yeah. She's not, yeah, she's and not I, and as I think, God-like as I thought. Yeah. And I think that would have just cracked, cracked the, uh, the, gl- the, the sheen a bit and, or dulled the sheen a bit. It and certainly I think would she, have, but, she would have definitely lost more trust in Cynthia as well, because she yeah. definitely would have been like, her judgment's not that good. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have shattered her trust entirely. I think, because like I said, for the most part, Cynthia is still very successful and professional. I think it just would have like just taken the gloss off just a bit, mm-hmm. like not entirely. Yeah. And I think she would have, that would have taught her a lesson of like, well, in future mentors or future relationships, anyone I'm trying to get something from or learn something from. Obviously, I think it just would have made her a better judge of character rather than just blindly assuming that everything that comes out of their mouth is gold. Yeah. You know? Yeah, just would have made her a bit more, maybe a bit more cynical or a bit more wary of, uh, you know, people you respect's judgment because, you know, they're human too. She certainly learned a lot of lessons. Indeed, indeed. Do you have anything else about uh, Abby? Abby, no. I just think she's real, like you said, a go-getter. And, uh, yeah, she definitely, she thought that her mentor was basically flawless until uh, she went to see Banya perform. (laughs) Then she, I guess, doubts Cynthia's judgment. Sort of. Yeah. How soon do you reckon she would have realized that George is not mental material? Like, George is not even protege material. (laughs) (laughs) Probably when she got the wrong script. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. I, I can imagine her and, like, Cynthia, you know, I think she would have realized very quickly that George is not mentor material. No. And I think she would have realized, hang on, what have I done? I've got to, <laughs> I've got to go make it right with Cynthia. And I reckon they would have had their relationship back pretty quickly. Do you think so? She reckon, you reckon that Cynthia would have got her back? Well, I mean, Banya is dumped by Cynthia, so I think that would have restored trust. You know, like, Cynthia, Cynthia dumps Banya, and I think that would have made Abby realize, oh, hang on, like, she realizes the error of her ways, so I can sort of trust her again. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's all I have on her. How about you? Uh, yeah, that's it. L- lead into Cynthia now? Sure. Cool. She's played by Katie Lehman. She's appeared in the TV shows Gilmore Girls, Third Rock from the Sun, that's a good one from the 90s, and uh, Heartland. Uh, she passed away in 2014, aged 65. And oh. uh, yeah, I think like just going off what you were saying before about Abby, yeah, she's certainly, well, Cynthia's certainly an accomplished woman, but sometimes has pretty bad judgment. Yeah, I think I think professionally, I think she's really, really dialed in, but maybe personally, maybe because she's so career-focused, you know, maybe she doesn't have as good judgment in terms of like picking partners on her level. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just a bit more of a rookie in that area. Yeah. And I think as well with her, I think she's one of those people who really needs to focus on one protege. I don't think yep. she has the ability to focus on several. I think if she was able to mentor several people, she might even mentor Banya in a way, mm-hmm. like probably in, in terms of his delivery, probably not necessarily with the material, because obviously she doesn't have experience in stand up comedy, but maybe like the delivery and the timing, she might be able to help and she might have like public speaking skills as well she could probably teach kenny how to really present his jokes better yeah no look i think a lot of skills um like you said public speaking skills and just confidence um would translate from her world where confidence is king you know like you have to be confident you have to be sure because i mean if you're investing you have to make pretty big judgments with people's money and you have to be confident so i think yeah a lot of those skills uh that she learned would translate 
uh, well for Benya. Yeah, and she's so focused on Abby that she won't help Benya. Even though they're dating, she won't go down that effort to be a mentor. No, and I mean, she probably wants to separate her life as well. She probably yeah. wants to have, you know, a life where she's not, you know, she's got a mentor. She's got a, you know, she's got mentor Cynthia and finance Cynthia. Yeah, and she, wants she, to, she doesn't want to mix Cynthia. business and leisure. No, she's, yeah. you know, she doesn't want to collide her worlds, basically. That's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, but she drops one of her worlds very quickly, which is, I think, a good move. <laughs> what I do you think, think her reaction was when she saw Banya perform? Probably very embarrassed, especially in front of Abby, because I think she knows, I think she would have realized that Abby would have lost trust or maybe would have lost a bit of faith in her judgment in that moment, because she knows that Abby puts everything into what Cynthia says and does. So when she realizes that, oh, Abby realized, like Abby now realizes that I've picked a, a pretty dud comedian and a very annoying person. I think she would have seen, like, almost in real time, like, maybe Abby's, like, slight shift of trust mm, yes. in Cynthia, you know? Yeah. And Cynthia um, would have been able to read it and be like, oh, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. I think, and, you know, and that sort of tension, like, Cynthia realizing that Abby is losing trust with her as the set's going on and Abby losing that trust. I reckon that just that slight shift in the ground between their relationship in that moment, that's that's pretty fertile ground for an argument that breaks out, mm. you know, that Abby describes and leads to their breakup. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing... I had about Cynthia was, do you think maybe, you know, maybe she feels a bit shaken with her, you know, her, her lapse in judgment in dating Banya. When she approaches Eddie at the um, the singles mixer, you know, she comes up to him and she's very impressed with Eddie's fast corporate rise from, I think, mailroom clerk to head of corporate development in two days. <laughs> That's right. In two and, days. In two days. <laughs> I think she feels the need, because her confidence is shaken a bit, I think she feels the need to be back in control and make like a good judgment. Mm. So she kind of like thinks quickly and thinks, I'll just, pr- I'll try and snap this guy up because obviously he's a you know he's a he's a star well maybe Uh, she thinks that maybe she's just so desperate that she thinks maybe maybe eddie's just been too good you know being promoted within like what five departments within two days you know going up what five levels at peterman she probably even thinks wow ed this eddie guy is probably too much for me Uh, maybe he's he's achieved too much for me to mentor him oh so so she's trying to like get him under control because maybe she sees him as a threat in the corporate world it'll be like a music mentor you know mentoring beethoven you know what i mean like mm-hmm. someone who's just so talented do they even need a mentor mm, you know, that's true like they got so much talent but eddie no but that's my point eddie is not talented he's just being promoted so he's not saying psycho shit when they're when they're no. doing catalog catalog <laughs> but, ideas yeah. you know? no but to cynthia she'd think that he's really talented for being promoted yeah. so quickly which is yeah. it's impossible to be promoted within two days it's like yeah I, I, well, I mean the I think world. you can probably get promoted i'm sure there have been freak occurrences where people have been promoted very quickly but not from you know from the lowest level to the highest level probably not no. That would take years. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Anyway, <laughs> but yes, Eddie is certainly an overachiever. That's it. And, uh, well, let's talk about Eddie. Yes, our last secondary character for the day. Uh, no, like I said, I've got a few notes on Frank and Banya. Of course. Uh, played by Ned Bellamy. He's appeared in the films Saw, Edward, and Twilight. And uh, we think that, you know, with his fatigues and his, I guess, his PTSD or his shell-shocked, you know, kind of like Frank with the cooking, he seems very shell-shocked from the war. And you think maybe he's like a Vietnam veteran or something, you know, and he's just gone really crazy, seen a lot of shit. And, you know, you think for most of the episode that's the case. But uh, yeah, like you mentioned earlier in the episode when Elaine and him are having milkshakes and they're talking, uh, he explains why he feels like that and he's got the fatigue yeah and it was just like a pretty normal breakup yeah. wasn't even a breakup just like a cooling of a relate of a of a short-term relationship which yeah. is like it's like two days pre- which is like a pretty common experience for everyone you know it's just like oh we feel slightly different about each other and i don't think it'll work going forward well, you know like you get over that in a day yeah yeah but you, he 
yeah, he's just he's just got over it after you know he couldn't get over it after two days. Yeah, I think um maybe I don't know like I think there's something else going on. I think maybe that triggered some like deeper trauma. Yeah, something like that's you know? exactly what I had in my notes. I said he probably has some underlying and unresolved trauma from something. Yeah, I don't think he's been in the military though. I think he's almost just like like everything he says and does and his whole like intense demeanor comes across you know exactly like that stereotypical like troubled Vietnam vet who like you know you know I've seen it all man you, you know I've seen some shit man like ugh. kind of like Lieutenant Dan you know yeah. like they're just you know they have PTSD they're alcoholics they're just sort of they can't adjust to normal society they're like trans or you know they're just all those sort of stereotypes he kind of embodies it you know although he does uh, rise quickly in the corporate world but I think I think he's almost like acting like a like a stereotypical movie character on purpose yeah he's, he's, tr- he's trying to embody someone who's traumatized but he it's like he's got trauma he doesn't know how to process it or sort of integrate it into his normal life. So he thinks, well, maybe if I sort of act like a caricature or a stereotype in movies, which is the Vietnam vet or the traumatized Vietnam vet, that will help me like portray or that will help me like, what's the word? Like almost like tra- not transcend, but cover that trauma. So Does that make a, sense? Yeah. You know so he's I mean? like, like a war movie buff. So he wants to live vicariously through the characters. to try. Yeah. And, and that, that will help him. He's yeah. like, this is how people I've seen in movies deal with trauma. So maybe if I just do the same thing. Yeah. Even though it's almost like a caricature, yeah, it's not genuine. It it will help him. Like he's almost like inhabiting a character because he doesn't know how to do it for himself in reality. Yeah, he's been watching films like Platoon and all yeah. those as well, and Deer Hunter. You know all those films, Vietnam War. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure, definitely. for sure. Yeah, you actually make a really good point. He is trying to do that to try and you know resolve his trauma. But a really interesting giveaway, Stephen, at the very start of the episode, if you notice that Elaine mentions him by his full name. But if you notice on his fatigues, he's got like a U.S. Army like you know sleeveless shirt but it doesn't mm. have his surname on it it has another surname it's like Pouth or something uh, but his surname wasn't Pouth it was like something else yeah look I reckon he just went to like an army surplus stop yeah shop like an army disposal store or something exactly yeah, yeah. of course yeah. just picked it up yeah of course yeah. yeah probably some poor dead soldiers shirt from Vietnam <laughs> yeah maybe maybe his trauma was that maybe he wanted to go to Vietnam but he didn't get drafted or maybe he couldn't you know maybe he tried to enroll is that the right word sign up oh yeah sign yeah. up or you know yeah, and maybe Maybe, maybe he didn't enlist, pass like enlist, a enlist in the army. Enlist, yeah, that's enlist. the one. And maybe I think he, he is about the age. I mean, the Vietnam War was a lot late, late 60s, early 70s, probably what, around his 40s? That. Yeah, he was probably yeah, like in like, his 20, early 20s, maybe, during Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah, at the time. Well, yeah. This, this episode this episode aired in 96, yeah. and the Vietnam War ended in 73, I think, yeah, 73, 74. So, so probably early 20s no. he was at the time, and he, yeah, he was just probably yeah. annoyed that he wasn't conscripted. Or he yeah, or maybe enlist. he tried to enlist, you know, and, um, you know, maybe didn't pass a medical test, or maybe, you know, there was something that prevented him from being enlisted and then he wasn't conscripted maybe he carries around a lot of guilt you know like maybe all of his friends or his family were like you know military vets and for some and he carries like guilt and shame for not carrying that honor on or that legacy on i had a theory that maybe his father was in the war of maybe like world war ii or something you know at the time and yep. uh, maybe yeah maybe due to those situations he probably wanted to live through his father's footsteps and say my father fought the japanese in world war ii i want to follow his legacy and fight for my country and then yeah yep. maybe through different circumstances that you mentioned he just wasn't able to do it and he does feel a sense of guilt yeah Yeah. maybe that's maybe that's part of the trauma that makes him think well 
if I wear army fatigues and sort of act intensely and embody that stereotype you see in movies, that mm. will help process the trauma yeah, or the I guilt. Think so too. I think so too. And I like yeah. how he was from the postal department. It's a nice reference to going yeah. postal, you know, because yeah. he definitely has like that kind of mass shooter, you know, spree killer kind of. Yeah, he's very cold and sort of like psychopathic. Yeah. 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 You know, like the guy who, you know, in The Simpsons, how, uh, isn't it when Homer, oh no, when Marge tries to become a cop and then there's that guy with the twitching eye and he goes, where do we get the freaking guns? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he kind of reminds you of that guy. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say he reminds you of um Herman. You know the 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 guy who oh with um, the one arm. Yeah, yeah, he's oh, from like too. season one, two, and three. Yeah. I don't think it is much after season three, if at all. Yeah, and he and he runs the um like the war memorabilia yeah. an antique war antique shop. I can imagine if Eddie like enlists in the army one day and he's got like the eye twitch and he, or a yeah. cop or he becomes a like, cop or something. He's like, where, where are we get the freaking guns? Yeah, the freaking the freaking guns. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, definitely. He's got. I think he's got a lot of um unprocessed rage yeah and kill someone he wants to kill someone i don't think eddie wants to kill someone i think he's actually harmless i think he's just trying to you know he just comes across as intense because he doesn't know how to process emotions or guilt like most people yeah fair enough and and that trauma is really bringing him down i mean not to not to insult postal workers they do a fantastic job but i think he probably has so much trauma that he doesn't focus on his career and trying to he's he's the opposite to abby abby's trying to you know improve herself and go up but he's just (laughs) staying where he is just you know absorbed in his guilt and trauma yeah, but turns out if you just act like a weirdo, you'll get promoted and up the chain very quickly. Exactly. If you look like <laughs> you're going to kill a lame with your bare hands or kill your and boss. Then, then and then be headhunted and having your pay doubled to something ridiculous. So. Yeah, I know. And he's, and he's going up in the world. And, and, and he gets offered a new job. That's exactly right. He gets headhunted. <laughs> so good on you, Eddie. Good you on know, you, Eddie. You've gone from like a low level to, you know, a high level in very uh, quick succession. Well, so. well, when we go back to the office, we should wear fatigues. Go to the army <laughs> disposals and see what happens. Yeah. We'll become CEO in no time. Join CEOs. Yeah, no, I don't think that'll work. It'll be like... Uh, you just stay at home and just don't come back. <laughs> That's right. Oh, your password doesn't work anymore. You can't log in. Oh, Social oh yeah. I'll, I'll raise an IT ticket. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Social distancing, please. Yeah. Don't just stay. me. One and a half meters distance. Yeah. You have to stay at least 100 meters away from the office at all times forever. <laughs> 100 kilometers. Yeah. Gotta move to Bendigo. <laughs> to Bendigo. Yeah. Yeah. Great part of the world. Anyway, yeah, yes. he's beautiful. Yeah, what yeah, what about Eddie? So anything else about him? I liked him. No, that's really it. Yeah, no, I, I really liked him. At first when I first watched the episode, obviously season eight is a bit more surreal, it's a bit more wacky, and I was like, Oh, this is just too weird and too cringy. Yeah. But I think once you know, once you sort of fold it into you know, this is another episode where there's four pretty independent storylines that meet at the end very satisfyingly. I think once you sort of like fold it into the final scene you know and then he gets recruited by um, by Cynthia you know it, it kind of I don't know it made more sense to me but just when when there's just this weirdo army dude at work I don't know it was just like what is this what's going on um but yeah I, I liked him more and more as I watched the episode mm, yeah especially with his the way he was writing the catalog it was yeah. like romanticizing war yeah mm. yeah at first I was just like oh, it's just too strange like it's who is this guy what's going on it just felt like very like crowbarred into the episode but then you got to remember it's season eight <laughs> yeah and, and it relates to Frank as well yeah no that's true yeah like as i as i understood yeah. the episode as a whole piece more as i watched it i did uh, dislike him less and less it, it was nice when he was choking on the bread and frank saw him in the fatigues and it reminded him of one of the soldiers <laughs> yeah Brilliant. i like how frank tips the table over at the end no <laughs> 
and then that it yeah. freeze frames on that, and then the credits roll. It's such a good scene to end on. And then you hear the table like smash and all the glass break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of Frank, I did want to just talk about a few things in this episode that we haven't really talked about before sure about thing. him. Yeah, like I said, I don't think he. Uh, we've talked about his uh, military experience prior to you know prior to this episode. So, and it's a pretty big part of his history. I mean, he uh, you know he was a Korean War vet, and he does actually become a what sort of salesman is he in Korea? He goes to Korea a lot because yeah. I mean. Yeah, he sold something and he had an affair with that Korean woman. Yeah, um, but I can't yeah. remember what he sold. But he, uh, I was going to say raincoats, but that's Morty. No, that's Morty, um, <laughs> the executive. No, yeah. I don't remember. But no, he did yeah. sell something in Korea and uh, yeah, he fell in love with the Korean woman as well, had an affair. Yeah, I would suggest that a lot of Frank's personality, you know, he's very like angry and he's always on edge and he's very ranty. I think a lot of that comes from maybe trauma in war, not just the cooking incident in this episode, but I'm sure he would have seen some pretty, pretty uh, messed up. Even as a cook, I'm sure he would have lost a lot of friends and been, you know, maybe. Maybe his camp would have been bombed or something. Well, he did send 16 of his men to the latrines that night, so that's pretty traumatic. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, imagine not being able to use a toilet for a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that those experiences that he no doubt would have had contributed a lot to his personality, maybe not entirely, because I mean, being married to Estelle probably would drive you up the up the wazoo as well. But yeah, I think I think it would have been uh, contributed to by those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he was really arrogant as a cook as well, because the meat was a bit off. It was delivered a bit too late. And, you know, usually you'd throw the meat away. You wouldn't serve it to your soldiers. But he said he said in the episode, he's so arrogant that he thought I'll cook him anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he is quite a cocksure person. He makes a decision. He's like, "That's it, I'm doing this thing." Yeah, and then he overseasoned, and then look what happened. I love, I love how it wasn't the rotted meat that made them sick. It was the overseasoning. <laughs> yeah, surely, surely, meat that's been in a box for three weeks too long, unrefrigerated, most likely. Yes. You know, in 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 Vietnam, uh, sorry, in Korea, which you know may have been hot and sweltering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, but it was too much salt and pepper. <laughs> yeah, I, I think to him it was overseasoned, but you yeah, know, to, to you and me, we know it was the rotted meat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, fun. Maybe, maybe maybe that's him like trying to you know like cushion the reality of what caused you know all those people to get sick you know you know like you know sometimes we like sort of uh, retcon our own memory we sort of convince ourselves that it wasn't as bad as it actually was yeah yeah so do you I think do, it was like, even worse. Well, no, no, no. I think he's just convinced himself. I think he knows on some deep level that it was actually the the rotten meat, but I think he just tells himself, "Oh, it was overseasoned," yeah. just to just to sort of go easier on himself. Exactly. Yeah, to like, go easier on himself. Yeah. yeah. Like that's an easier memory to to sort of uh, reconcile than you know than serving people rotten meat. I that, think. That's been out for three weeks, like you said. That's it. Yeah, yeah. The only other person I wanted to talk about briefly was Banya. Yeah. In this episode, he's far less of a punisher. I mean, he's got less scenes, mm. but he seems just a bit more relaxed. He's not so like eager to i mean his typical banny was like that's gold jerry that's gold but he's a lot more humble he's a lot more um willing to sort of listen you know he doesn't just normally he just sort of takes a a, a bad idea and just sort of runs without without thinking it through but well, i think it's helping but, him exactly i think I <laughs> yeah i don't think cynthia would have helped him intentionally like you said she wouldn't have uh, had time for that or a desire to do that but maybe he's just learned a lot from how she is indirectly you know yeah. maybe she's just rubbed off on him a bit of just like think a bit more think more strategically, think a bit more, you know, pragmatically, maybe, um, you know, that's don't right. just jump into things so keenly and don't be such a punisher. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, she, Cynthia's definitely rubbed off on Kenny as well and made him somewhat of a better person of sorts. But uh, when Cynthia leaves, uh, you know, then Kenny's, I, I think Kenny's a bit like Abby. I think whenever Cynthia leaves your aura or leaves your presence, I think like Abby and Kenny, they kind of feel a bit lost. Yeah, so, yeah I, I think, think she, Kenny I think she's one of those well. people that just really like makes, regardless 
regardless of your relationship with her, whether it's her, you know, boyfriend or protege or even just like an acquaintance, I think she just like lifts your spirits and makes you feel better about yourself just by being in the same room as her. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think that's what Kenny experienced. That's probably why you said he's, he wasn't as punishy as he was normally. Yeah, no, he's a bit, he's a bit more, he's a bit less irritating for sure. And I mean, Jerry, you know, I think, and I think that's why Jerry thinks, maybe Jerry realizes that he's changed a bit and Jerry's like, you know, normally he would want to stay away from Banya at all costs, but he's like, hang on, like maybe, maybe Banya's a bit more tolerable. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll let him into my life yeah. and uh, he can become my protege. And then Kenny just goes back to his old self in later episodes. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I mean, you know, he goes back to his like dumb kind of like, you know, like cartoonishly stupid self. It's like a when he re- Yeah, when he doesn't realize that, you know, the, the material about risk management is not comedy material. Uh-huh. He just, he assumes it's, he assumes it is written by... Who does he assume it's written by? Jerry? No. Jerry, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like, you know, it's just recounting a textbook. Yeah. So he's too dumb to realize that he just got some uh, written material mixed up. <laughs> he just got like a comprehensive essay about a book. But in, in sort of like typical Banya fashion, it kind of works out for him. He's like, I've got all these corporate gigs now. That's right. He does yeah, yeah. He kind of just he kind of just does fail upwards a bit. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Accidental success. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it just to irritate, well, ac- not even unintentionally irritating Jerry. Yeah. Well, we do talk about Kenny Banya and... Frankenstanza in some What's the Deal with episodes, so you can go and uh, find those. So Kenny Banya, we talk to him or talk about him in Jerry's Enemies. That's one of our earlier ones. And uh, yeah, like you said before, Frank, we talk about him in What's the Deal with Seinfeld's Parents. So uh, yeah, go back and listen to those for further analysis on those characters. That's right. Let's take a break. Uh, that's all the secondary characters for the episode. Yep. Uh, and after we come back, uh, we will talk about where the episode fits, uh, sits in all the episodes we've reviewed so far, whether any of the secondary characters make our top 20. And uh, that's really about it. Yes, we'll be back. So, Stephen, we did talk about the fatigues and its secondary characters today. So, out of 122 episodes, where does the fatigues sit for you? That's uh, it's at number 73. 73, okay, yeah. So, a bit lower, but not as low as it could go. Yeah, it's not a bad episode. I think I said at the start, it's mostly average. There's no super classic scenes. I don't think anything is terrible. Um, I think everything is just, you know, it's like 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10 most of the time. Yeah, for sure. What about you? I liked it uh, quite a bit, actually. 47. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it was really enjoyable i love how there was the army references for both eddie and frank and i love how they tied together at the end and like kramer like usually some of his beat his plots are just really like insane but the only thing that he had to do was set up a jewish singles night which you know and that's it you know you you don't really see him well besides him cooking and stuff you don't really see behind the scenes him organizing it and stuff so i found that a bit interesting how kramer is like he's just saying what he's doing and then you don't really see the process yeah the only thing you really see is him cooking in jerry's kitchen and he it's actually I just realized as well, it's one of the rare times where, you know, everyone is telling Kramer that his plot or his plan is really dumb and he doesn't really know what he's doing, mm. but he kind of has this like unwavering cockiness of just like, no, nah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in this one, he really shows, you know, and he, he admits the fact he's like, I have no taste. This mm. is going to be terrible. And he's really stressed out. It actually shows Kramer not believing in his wacky plans, I which love, is yeah. kind, of a, kind of a rare thing. Yeah, you know, he's usually quite confident in himself. Yeah. And it's, I, it's kind of refreshing in a way. I love when Abby walks out of the elevator and says, oh, what's that? dead animal in the elevator yeah it's like my cabbages Oh, so good, so good. Yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah. And Jerry's like, "This tastes like dirt." And he's like, "I dropped him on the floor." I dropped him on the floor, and Jerry's like, "I love his look." He's like, "Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course oh, you did." Yeah. 
That's why it tastes like dirt. Yeah, no, the fatigue. Yeah, forty-seven. Yeah, I, I liked it. It was a fun, fun season eight episode. Yeah, like obviously not classic tier, of course, but it had its fun moments that I liked. I liked Frank's flashback and his trauma and uh, Eddie's trauma as well. And yeah, it's fun. Nice. Do any of the secondaries appear in your top twenty? Not this week, mate. What about you? No, not this week. Okay. But uh, shout out to Frank as usual. I mean, he's just on fire. Yes. In this episode, as he normally is. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Frank is a killer. He's he's my second favorite secondary of all time. So, uh, yes, he's fantastic. And uh, next week, Stephen, we are going to season seven. We're going to talk about the infamous season finale, the one where Susan dies. The invitations. Nice. Can't wait to get into this one. Been a while. Yeah, it's been a, been a long while. I forgot what secondary characters are there besides the invitation lady and stuff. I'm sure there's others. I mean, yeah, the only been a while. Susan's parents. I think Susan's parents are in this episode. Oh yes, and I think the um, doctor, the doctor who declares Susan dead as well. Yeah. Yeah, who testifies yeah, against him in the finale. Yeah, I think this is the first it? episode he's in. That's right, yeah. The first, I think yeah, I think he's been in like a, another one maybe before the Yeah, finale. maybe one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, yeah. yeah, and I'm, I'm sure Jerry or Elaine or Kramer have a boyfriend or girlfriend that we can talk about. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Anyway, yeah, but it has been a while since I've seen that one. But yeah, I can't wait to talk about that real infamous episode. Sure. Mm. Uh, it sure will be fun. Indeed. Until then, though, thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us, bidwabasspodcast at gmr.com or on all the socials. We are reactivating Patreon as of... Um, uh, you hearing this episode if you are a patron uh, and when we shut it down a couple of months ago uh, we'll be reactivating all of those same features which is uh, early access to episodes early access to season two um, of Curbcast and uh, also other bits and pieces like season 11 of Seinfeld which we'll be releasing around May or June we don't have a confirmed date yet but yeah. we'll no doubt we're still writing like, some scripts <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll let you know when it's uh, going to happen absolutely and we do have a I guess a 30 day free trial of sorts if you do sign up on Patreon on any of our tiers um, you will get it for free with all the perks until May first so we'll start charging you from then and then from may 1st all the perks or most of the perks will go to the two dollar subs that's right and all those details are in the show notes and uh if you are doing it tough out there due to the COVID 19 situation we wish you well we yeah. hope you take care we Absolutely. hope um things get better for you sooner rather than later and uh if you are a listener of the podcast i hope that we can offer some sort of distraction or enjoyment uh for you know an hour or so um and if you want some more ongoing distraction and fun and enjoyment you can check out the unofficial uh but official uh, facebook group of but I don't want to be a secondary character. It's called Seinfeldisms. Uh, and you can join the fun. We're about 40,000 odd members. Uh, and it's just awesome content all day, every day. Absolutely. And uh, just thanking our current patrons on Patreon before we go. Uh, Tim, Holly, Nakir, and Jeff. Uh, so yeah, they're thanks, currently guys. supporting. So thank you. And yeah, like just to echo what Stephen said, if, for people listening to this, our, our listeners, you know, whether you've been with us since now or since 2017 when we started or anything in between, we wish you really well. And I know it's a really tough time out there being locked in and having to stay at home and stuff. But, you know, if we can flatten this curve and you know at least try and minimize the damage as much as we can and try and make it easier on our healthcare workers and, and for us in society we'll get through this all together and uh steven and i hopefully by the later this year we'll be back in the studio together that's right and uh if you are a healthcare worker or no healthcare worker massive shout out to you guys you guys are Amazing. the Amazing. the literal soldiers on the front line the fact that you're still willing to go in and help people you know with a massively high risk of getting sick yourself and passing it on just shows your bravery and without you guys we'd be completely and utterly f i mean we're pretty fucked but yeah. we'd be well and truly fucked so yeah, yeah. yeah if if that's the case for you if you are a doctor or a nurse or anyone at all cleaner if you're making life easier for the people that are suffering and also society in general um yeah big can't really respect you enough so and all, yeah and also a shout out to the supermarket workers the postal yeah. delivery workers the garbage collectors everyone who's helping the society run during these tough times thank you thank you for everything yeah and also you know all those aforementioned people and anyone else we've missed not just for keeping the world running during such a weird time but also probably keeping it running i mean
mean, the circumstances are pretty cooked anyway, but copying a lot of, like, I've just heard so many reports from, you know, people and you see news articles and, and posts on Facebook and stuff of people just being abusive and horrible to those healthcare workers and supermarket people yeah, and stuff. So, terrible. I mean, you, you guys are just putting up with more than you have to at any time. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we love you. And, um, you know, we hope that if you're one of those people, medical staff or otherwise, we hope that this uh, podcast and Seinfeld in general can be a, a bomb in a, uh, yeah. in a pretty difficult time. And if you don't anyway, have anyone to talk to, you know, you can reach out to us on socials or send us an email or whatever and uh, we'll have a chat to you. Yeah, no, we're always happy to have a chat just to yeah. keep you company, um, you know, just to email you, whatever. We're always open and we'd love to hear from you if you need us. Absolutely. My name's Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And we'll see you next week for the invitations. You take care. See you then. Thank you.